Good morning, Chair City Church. How you doing today, huh? Ah, glad to see you all. Glad to be talking to you again. Glad to have some air in my lungs. God is good. I want to welcome all of you guests and my friends here to the last week of our current teaching series. We are, I've enjoyed this one. I enjoy all of them, but I really have dug this one. You know, often we look to you know, our culture or what people say to kind of define who we are, but our identity isn't found in what people say or what the culture is, huh? Rather, it's to be found in who God says we are, what he's called us to. So in this series, we're studying these five biblical metaphors huh, where God tells us who we are in Christ. And a metaphor is kind of this, this uh, figure of speech where you compare two things and usually when they're like one another, a likeness of one thing to another thing. And so if you weren't sure what a metaphor was, I, I wasn't. when I had to go and look it up, so now you know, okay? I mean, I had a pretty good idea, but I wasn't sure. Joy wasn't around, so I had to go and look it up in a dictionary. Joy's my 10-year-old daughter for our guest. So, and what Jesus is doing is he's drawing a picture to make a comparison between us and a particular object or action to show us, you know, how we can be like or similar to that object or ap- action, you know, that, that clay or that sheep. Now, A quick but important note, when you hear the word we, it does mean we, you and I. You know, sometimes I'll say we as a general statement, not to point people out or, no, no, we as you and I, we as a community, right, as a coming together of people who believe in Jesus, as a church, we are the church. You've got to believe that more than ever. I believe in the church. I do. More than ever, people knock it, people think less. I believe in the church. I believe in you because you are the church. I think the more people get away from that truth that we as people are the church, the more they can turn around and kind of be disparaging and questioning and distant and even the way they might treat the church, right? But I would say the church is a group of living and breathing individuals who believe in Jesus Christ. I believe that we were brought together by God himself more than ever to worship God, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, right? To exalt him. We are the church, huh? And the church, you and I, no matter what the devil throws at us, no matter how he comes against us to divide us, to distract us, that we will hold firm together because we are the church, right? And what did Jesus say? He said, the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. He said to Peter, Peter, you are rock and on this rock I will build my church and the Gates of hell shall not prevail, not individually, but together as a church, Satan will not overcome us. You understand that, right? How powerful the church is that we will take down, prevail, not we will take down the gates of hell. That's an aggressive statement. That that we're protected in some fortress, we are out there doing battle and conquering Satan and his minions and taking down the gates of hell together. So, now, in this regards to who we are, we want to, we're looking this week at this metaphor called fishers of men. And you'll hear me go back and forth, men, women, men, women, because it really is speaking to all of humankind, huh? So we're going to look at a scripture where this metaphor comes from, Matthew chapter 4, verse 19. Follow me, Jesus says, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Some, if you have a certain version of the Bible, it says, come follow me and I'll send you out to fish for people. I'll teach you how to fish for people, right? About five years ago, there was a TV miniseries called The Bible. Do you remember that? It was pretty good. It was shown around this time of year. I want to watch a quick clip from that, you know, that, uh, that 
TV ministries, and it kind of shows a scene depicting these words, this statement of Jesus, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Great scene. Now I want to go to the words in the Bible that are related to that scene with Jesus and Peter. Luke chapter 5, verse 5 through 11. It says, one day Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. The people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. They were fixing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, who is Peter, put out into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so, so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. And then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore and left everything and followed him. So, you know, I had, had some liberties taken in there, but the point was there. Huh? So the scene that we saw takes place early in the morning. There's probably a handful of people, not a lot of people out on shore. It's early. And you got these tired group of fishermen. They just went through a hard night of, you know, doing their occupation, fishing, came up empty. And they're sitting on the shore now, and it, when it says they're washing their nets, they're mending their nets, meaning anything that was torn or broken, the ropes, they're getting ready for the next night. Maybe things will be different, how they'll get, things will turn out better. The morning's winding down, they're ready to pack it in. But just as they finish their activities for the morning, ready to go home, a man passes along the shoreline, and he calls out to the men on the boats, and the sum of all the circumstances and the events has him inviting them Peter and Peter's crew to come and follow him. Yeah, he calls them. He calls us. And it's simple. He says to come after me and I will make you fishers of men. Yeah. And they did and it changed their lives forever. Huh? It changed their lives. I mean, here is Peter, right? Saying, hey, Lord, you know, get away from me. Once he got this vibe, this sense, okay, Here's a guy teaching about God. Okay, he's a rabbi. We're going to respect him of some sort. Wait a minute. This is no ordinary rabbi. This is no ordinary man. This, this, this something going on here, you know? Just, okay, stay away from me. I'm a sinner, meaning I'm no good. Right here, Peter's saying, look, I'm Peter, man. I got issues. I got problems. I got failures. I got shortcomings. I got limitations. And he wraps it up into one statement. Hey, I'm a sinner. Right? We are sinners, man, huh? But he says, Lord, go away from me. I'm a sinful man. And, you know, Jesus takes Peter. He takes Peter and his brethren and his friends. He takes these simple Galilean fishermen, and he transforms them into some of the greatest fishers of men this world has ever seen, huh? They go on to change the world. That's a fact. Now, what is, that's not a movie. That's a fact. Now, you say, what do you mean by that? What I'm saying is, is that Jesus existed. That's a historical fact. 
You might not believe he was God. You might not believe he walked on water. But it's a historical fact, right? You know, like George Washington was the president of the United States. That's a historical fact. Julius Caesar, emperor of Rome. Historical fact. Jesus Christ existed. That's a fact. Peter existed. That's a historical fact. We know that by studying Jewish uh, records and 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 you know what they call you know certain findings. It's a historical fact. Peter existed. Now here's another fact that Jesus and Peter changed the world. They had a greater impact. That crew, Peter and his crew, and Jesus had a greater impact on this world than any other human beings that have lived. That's a fact. Okay, so if you were to just kind of cognitively and 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 just statistically just add that all up, it's a fact. They changed the world. Isn't that it's just to me that means something, you know? That before you get into the uh, you know, the personal stuff and the emotional stuff and all this other what I really think is uninformed stuff, this is true. What I'm banking my life on, what I'm telling you this morning, it's true. I'm convinced that Jesus wants to do in your life and mine just what he did in the lives of these men. He wants to take us, men and women, young and old, with all our faults and our failures and our rough edges and our seemingly shortcomings and what this world says we are and who even ourselves, what we've bought into that we think we are, and he wants to transform us into fishers and men and women. He's calling us today to follow him and to be fishers of men and women. Fishers of people who live here in the greater Gardner area. How did Peter and his friends become fishers of men? They followed Jesus. They chose to follow the right person. huh? How many times in life do we follow the wrong thing, the wrong person? How many times in life do we invest our emotions, our time, our efforts, our thinking huh? to follow, to dedicate to the wrong thing or the wrong person? But not this morning, right? This morning we are calling one another. God is calling us to follow Jesus. huh? We were meant to be fishers of men. In another view of this event, you find it in Matthew chapter 4. And Jesus says to Peter and the group, come follow me and I will send you out to fish for people. And at once they left their nets and followed him. The word followed here, it means to cling to another person conforming to their example. In other words, these men left their nets, their boats and what they knew of life to cling to Jesus and to follow him. Right. So that's why I'm always hesitant about the whole Christian label. I've eased up on it a bit, you know, but you know, in the beginning, I wouldn't even say it. Because a Christian, it seems so, st- I'm a Christian. What does that mean? You know? You got a bumper sticker on your car with a fish on it. You got, what, what, what? Are, no. Do you cling to Jesus? Do we cling to Jesus? Do, do we conform to who he was and what he's taught, right? That's what, that, that's what it means to follow Jesus. Are we fishers of men and women? And that's what those men did. They followed Jesus. They followed the right person. The one true God. And when they did, you know what they saw? They saw Jesus go into places and interact with people that religious leaders and upright citizens would never have done. Right? They would never have anything to do with the people that Jesus was talking to and interacting with. They would never go into places where Jesus went, huh? But they watched him do it. They watched him go to the woman at the well who was living with a man she wasn't married to. 
They watched and showed love and mercy. They watched him interact and touch a, lep- a man with leprosy, which was like skin-eating disease. They watched him heal a man who was possessed with demons. They seen him engage and, and literally kind of in some way honor a, a woman that was considered a sinful woman, huh? Probably a prostitute. They seen him bring mercy and compassion to a woman who had been accused of adultery and was about to be murdered by her culture. They seen him engage, talk to, and help a Gentile woman, meaning a, one of, somebody who wasn't one of them, you know what I'm saying? Huh? Who was looked down on, who was despised, who was their enemy, right? That he ministered to her and helped her with her sick daughter. So did you get the picture? What Jesus was teaching them and what he teaches us is that every life matters to God. You hear me? Every life matters to God. That's why we're fishers of men and women. That's when we follow Jesus, we do that. Because every life matters to God, yes? And we get the privilege and find joy and peace in being fishers of men and women in really knowing and interacting with that truth that every life matters to God, just like Peter and his crew did. See, Jesus loved them all. He reached them. He reached out to everyone, regardless of how old they were, who they were, their race, their religion. He loved them. What I'm saying is that when you follow the right person in Jesus Christ, you learn this truth, that God doesn't want anyone to perish. Huh? That Jesus came to die for sinners. And that the gospel message is to be be preached everywhere to everyone. This is the church, my friends. Huh? We are are fishers of men. This is what is what you have heard termed as Christianity. We are fishers of men. Warren Wearsby, a great Baptist preacher and teacher, I think in my first books I bought in my library, I have like 700 books in my library now, I've probably given away another 700 books, right? You know, but <coughs> first book I had a, was in a pastor's home named Jim Simbler, James Simbler, and he recommended these books to me. First books I went out and bought. As a, as a believer, this uh, Warren Wearsby books. And Wearsby says this regarding the statement that we are fishers of men. He says, what it's saying is that we are to capture the hearts and minds of men and women. Actually, that we will capture the hearts and minds of men and women. And it's just so true that as you follow Jesus, as you cling to him, as you learn from him, and now you go out knowing you've got this kind of command on you, Right? this privilege, this commission to be fishers of men and women that you're going to capture the heart and minds of people. Now, here's the thing. You come in on a Sunday and you learn, huh? I hope so, some things, right? And, you, and, and you're hearing about Jesus, what he did, what he said, and you're getting that. But then you take that into Monday. You hear me? You t- you, it clings to you. You take it into Monday. Because if you do so, you will capture the hearts and minds of your spouse. You will capture the hearts and minds of your children. You will capture the hearts and minds of people around you. If you do that. If Monday comes and there's a minimal remnant or much left of what you engaged and and, and absorbed on Sunday, then you're not following Jesus, meaning you're not clinging to him. You're not conforming to who he was. You, you're not. And, and you're probably not going to see a lot of capturing of hearts and minds going on. And to the degree you do, it's to the degree I believe you will see that happen. 
Okay, I want you to be encouraged. Now that, not in what you've done wrong or what's inconsistent, but what you can be, your potential. That's not what God has made you and called you to be. But what he's made you and called you to be, you can be. Peter was the sinner, right? And all those men who were simple fishermen and also sinners. But they said, you know what? Monday's going to be Sunday and Tuesday's going to be Sunday. And when it's going to go on, right? We're not going to be these submarine Christians, you know? We kind of, we underwater and then Sunday comes my friend from African Bible College. You say, oh, you know, Americans seem to be like submarine Christians, you know? They kind of live underwater and... You know, and then they, Sunday comes, they come up, they peek up, and then they go back down. Some of us, all of us to some degree kind of suffer from this because we have a kind of a convenient, comforting culture here, right? But let's not aspire for that. Let's aspire to follow Jesus and be fishers of men and women, huh? It's such a great purpose. It's such a meaningful way of life, huh? To be fishers of men and women. It's, listen to me, it's a wonderful, trustworthy identity, we struggle, so many of us, huh, with who we are. Even me, I'll look in the mirror sometimes, and I'm like, who, who are you, right? Who are you? And I'm so glad that I can say I am a child of God. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I am a fisher of men and women, huh? My life is to be used to see other people know Jesus Christ as I have had the joy and the privilege and the honor of doing. Yeah. This is what, and so, and this is who I am before anything else. Christie's husband, Justin's father, this is who Dave is. This is my identity. You know, I was studying Aaron Erickson in my, one of my classes in college. Uh, someone did a presentation and they included Eric Erickson in it. I kind of like Eric Erickson because not only he's one of the, he's very uh, revered and credited, uh, we'll call a psychologist, but he, he didn't go to school. I mean, I'm not, meaning he, he didn't have the education that a lot of these men and women had around him. And yet he, he's just, his teachings were so great. And, and they would constantly turn around and, and kind of poke him and tell him, you know, you're going to go in, in, to university, you're going to get a college. And he would look at him and say, and who's going to teach me, right? <laughs> his wife, if you hear his wife talk about him, it's, it's a beautiful thing. Um, I think she recently passed away. But he had this thing about identity. He actually was the first one, at least known, to talk about a person having an identity and what that meant. I'm kind of going off here, but you know what he said? <coughs> he said it is, I think he used the word cruel, to tell people you, you, you can do something great or you can be great or you can be really good or, or you could be do things phenomenal and not actually facilitate them to do something. He said it's actually harmful. To just tell people, you could be great, you could do something good, you're wonderful, you're special, and not actually give them the opportunity to do something special or to be something wonderful, right? Sounds familiar, huh? Yeah. Listen, God is calling us to do something because he, wa- he knows we can be something great. But if we just sit around mm, and say wonderful things, and tell each other wonderful things, but we don't trust in God to do wonderful things, there's going to be a disconnect, you hear me? We're going to feel kind of tired in our walk with God. We're going to feel a little bit down more than we should. And you're going to be down no matter what's good. It's going to have more. But I mean continuously where, hey, Eric said, said, hey, give people the opportunity to do something, to accomplish something, no matter how small, no matter what it is, right? I, I do that in my home. 
I bring love, I bring correction, but my, I tell my, we gotta have them do things. Shoveling snow, doing this, helping this one. I want them to do things and to get the sense and the feel of I've done something productive, right? I don't just want to tell them, you're so good, you're so wonderful. I'm not mocking anybody. I'm not being sarcastic. I'm just telling you all these good things to them and let them hear all these things about how good and wonderful, great and special they are. And they've not, you know, really done something that's of substance, you know, and something that's preferably outside of themselves, huh? That's really meaningful. You get me? And Jesus knows that because God, his, his Father in heaven created us, and he's saying, here's a great, wonderful, productive, beneficial, long-lasting thing you could do. Huh? Be fishers of men and women, yes? All right, so you say, hey, how, how does this happen? Where do, where do I start with this, you know, following Jesus, being fishers of men and women? And it begins with spending time with the greatest fisherman that ever lived, Jesus. Huh? You know, if you're wondering what makes Jesus the best fisherman that ever lived, just you start with Matthew 4.19. Jesus says, come follow me. He says to a group of men, four men in particular, Peter, Andrew, James, and John. He casts out his line for the first time. He catches four fish. It's pretty good, right? All four men follow him. So if you're into fishing, you cast out your line for the first time. If you catch a fish, that's a big deal, right? Imagine if you catch four fish at once. Jesus caught four fish at once, huh? So, and these men... They spent time with Jesus, huh? And they learned from him. You know, during the course of the renovation of the building, and it has been, uh, what a path, what a time, what a season. Uh, I've spent a lot of time around some of these tradespersons, and I've gotten to know them a bit more than they might realize, you know? Uh, I can predict things now. I, it, it's, you know, we're kind of all particular, you know, similar creatures. I, I know uh, music. Music's a big deal you know, to them. Uh, you know, when Solid Rock's crew is in there and I walk in, if they're all in there for the most part, I can just stop and just pause and I will know where they are, each one of them, just by listening to the music, right? So country music is Brent, you know, kind of worship stuff music is, is you know, Caleb, right? You know, Iggy, I don't even know what Iggy's listening to, but it's, it's, it's something, you know, it's not from, you know, whatever, but it's, I think it's like some Haitian Creole stuff, you know? Marcos has got some Mexican stuff going on, you know. And then there's Josiah. Josiah, is, he's cute in that what he does is if everybody's around, you know. So Josiah listens to like hard, like Skillet, which is cool. Uh, I think I turned him on to Skillet. I'm going to take credit for that. And uh, some hard stuff. And uh, if nobody's there, he'll, he'll get out the box and he'll blast it. But when everybody's around, he, he's, got, he, he, this what he he's got his headphones in which I've learned is very convenient because not only does he not have to listen to everybody's music, but he actually doesn't have to listen to anybody either when they come in and talk to him, right? So, so I can follow them and all their music. Huh? But what I've learned is, you know, the drywall contractor, the people who've helped with plumbing, um, the plasters, all these different people, the more I'm around them and listen to them and watch them, I learn. I've learned a lot, I really have, and I grew up in, the, in construction, but just being by them, you know, seeing what they do, hearing what they do, and listening, I'm kind of learning from them, right? And as we spend time with Jesus, reading the Bible, like, like these words I'm giving you today are in the Bible, huh? We learn. As we spend time praying for him, what does that look like? It means talking to Jesus, right? Having an open and honest 
conversation with Jesus and then sitting there and listening and being open and honest with ourselves, within our hearts and minds about what's, what are these words and thoughts that are coming in that, oh, by the way, might shake us up a bit, but a lot more healthy than the thoughts and attitudes that existed, right? Into the environment they came in, huh? And listen, that's what happened with these disciples, with these men who followed Jesus that day, who left their boats to follow Jesus. They spent three and a half years walking and talking and learning from him, spending time with him. And you know what happened? After Jesus went to be with his Father in heaven, you've heard the term ascending to heaven, to sit at the right hand of his Father, they went on to cast their line. And you know what? They caught 3,000 fish the first time they cast out their line out there. And we see in the book of Acts, and we call it the day of Pentecost, where Peter casts his line out, puts out what he learned from Jesus, and 3,000 people come to know God. Huh? Incredible, right? Listen, it is critical for us as a church, we are, to spend time with Jesus so we don't lose sight and passion to be fishers of men and women. Do you hear me? You know, years ago, there was this publication, this kind of magazine, uh, Presbyterian Journal, and uh, there was a story. I want to share it with you. I'm going to be as quick as possible. And this is very meaningful for us and critical for us individually and as a church right now for where we are. It says there's this dangerous sea coast where shipwrecks, shipwrecks often occur. And it was this once a crude little life-saving station. The building was just a hut, and there was only one kind of beat-up boat, little boat. But the few devoted members kept a constant watch over the sea with no thought for themselves. They went out day and night tirelessly searching, tireless, tirelessly searching for the lost. Many lives were saved by this wonderful little life-saving station. So it became famous, and over time, some of the people who were saved from drowning and others in the community kind of came together, decided to give money and support this little life-saving station on, you know, off the coast. They bought new boats. They fixed up the life-saving station so it wasn't so crude and ugly, as they put it, right? Now, it would look more like a place worthy of such admirable persons and reflective of such a special and valuable place. The nicer the life-saving station became, the more people wanted to come and spend time there and hear about all the stories of people's lives being spent and to come and relax and hang out with their friends and family. Now, most of the members of the life-saving station over time wanted to kind of minimize and even some stop the club's life-saving activities, right? Because they were unpleasant. I mean, people coming in out of the sea, wet, smelly, who knows where they're coming from, some might be sick, and they're coming into this atmosphere that, you know, it's not what we bargained for. They've come together to relax, to meet with friends, to hear stories, to take it easy in this night's accommodating venue, right? And now, in an unpredictable, with no notice, totally disruptive to what they had planned or who they are, what they're doing now, come these, you know, battered and sick and who knows why people coming into their situation, huh? So they were like, listen, we, we just need to stop the life-saving part of what goes on here, right? Because it's becoming less and less anyway. But then there was this minority, small group of people that were saying, wait a minute, this is who we are. This is why we exist. This is our purpose. Well, they were the minority voice, and the popular voice prevailed. Now, shipwrecks are still frequent in those waters, but most of the people, they drowned. Huh? What a striking yet fair illustration of the history of the church, of the Christian church, huh? 
right? This work of saving lives, what we call evangelism, is the most essential work we will do. It is what distances us from all of the, call it faiths and religion, that we want to see people saved from eternal damnation. We want to see lives saved, huh? The work of evangelism is the work of fishing for men and women, as it were, out of the sea of sin. The work of rescuing people from the breakers of hell is the greatest work the church will ever do. That's why we're here. We hit a lot of different topics and we relate to things and, and you know, from finances to depression to this and that. We are here to see people come to know Jesus Christ. And the moment that you get fixed on that is the moment you know God in a greater way and you start following Jesus and clinging to him for who he is. I'm telling you, why in God's mercy that I got this. I know why, because I, I saw it. That's what I came into when I came to know Jesus. That's what people were doing to me, and that's what I watched them to do. I just thought that's what being a Christian was. And over the years, I come to, I mean, I, I was such a disruptive presence. I really was, because I'd come into circles where this wasn't dominant, and this wasn't active, and you know me, gentle, kind, calm, hey, you know, <laughs> woo, really. I'm like, what is this? You know, I, 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 it blew me away. I, and this might sound condescending. No, I, I'm saying it truly from, uh, from a humble place of gratitude and gratefulness to my pastor. What a wonderful woman of God and how she, the example she gave me. And those people, crazy and perfect people who <coughs> did struggle. And I tell you right now, and Christy will tell you this. While they were in that fold, you had a pastor who loved her people. She was with them. She'd go to the hospital. She'd be, she, a, a woman thought her husband was, was being unfaithful. She'd get in a car and follow the guy around or something like that. I mean, she was with her people, right? In sickness, in death, in life, in good stuff. I mean, she, was, she loved her people. She cared for people. She was a shepherd to her people. Huh? And she gave them this example. And all she did this to show them the love of God so that they would know Christ, right? That was it. <clears throat> but what happened was over time, she was crazy firm, you know, but, uh, you know, they didn't have a lot of these other kind of meaningful, fun, special things. Over time, I want to be careful here because I'm talking about my friends and people I love. They kind of moved on. Uh, and you know what? It, they struggled. They did so much worse when they moved on. And, and because they, I believe, left what was most important. They left being fishers of men and women. When you were in her church, man, as I say, you walked in looking out for God, you left looking out for people. She had people so tuned in to reaching people for Jesus, man, right? And when they went on to, quote, unquote, bigger and better things, man, their marriages fell apart. I'm sure it's more complicated than this, but I know a, con a contributing element for this was that being, being fishers of men and women was no longer prominent in their life. I thank God when I came into their lives, it was, huh? and I got the best of them. So just tossing that out there. Look, you see all through the Bible this concern for evangelism, the work of rescuing people from sin and judgment. Evangelism is God's concern. John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Evangelism is Christ's concern. Luke chapter 9, verse 10. 19 verse 10, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. When you start reaching out to people, wh wh where do you start reaching out to people? How do you reach out to people? Where do you begin? It's countless ways. But you came in today, 
and we gave you a bit of a head start here. You have invite cards. huh? You have two types of invite cards, and they're well done. There's a lot of thought that goes in to working alongside with you, to partnering with you in being fishers and men. We are fishers of men and women, right? So you have these <coughs> attractive invite cards. One, to connect to your culture, an Easter egg hunt, right? Because this is where culture is, and we're going to kind of come alongside that. We're not going to acquiesce to it. We did it last year. We presented the gospel message in a beautiful way. A young little girl did it. That Sunday, we had a, a boy come into church for the first time, and they were talking, and he says, no, no, this is what Easter is about. <laughs> and he wanted to talk about Jesus. It was awesome, right? So that's what we do, huh? And you, you can invite your friends. We're not looking to blast this out into the community. We had around 100 people last year. Invite your friends, invite your family. You have, you have tickets today to do that. We're going to be doing it up at, uh, I'll talk about it at the end. I want to get into details now. But then also you have a card for Easter to invite people to the last Easter service that we will have at the Garden of Cinemas. Well, that'll, that's definitely going to be true. Our last Easter service here to invite them to come in. We're going to kick off a new series called Emojis, if you've ever heard of them, right? <laughs> we are. We're going to teach and preach and have a blast and change lives by talking about emojis using the Bible. Huh? Listen, we're with you. We expect guests. We want to come alongside of you. We're not going to embarrass your guests. So when they go out there at the Easter egg hunt, they're going to see people that are just like them, you know, for better or for worse. They're going to connect to something that's fun. Kids walking out of there, not with one or two little things, but, you know, 20, 30, 40 eggs each having a blast. Huh? You're going to feel good about where you're coming from about reaching out to them. And you know what the great part of it is? When they come on Sunday, they're going to see the same people dressed the same way, talking about the same thing, having good fun and good food, right? That's what we do. So they meet you out there at the Royal Ranger Farm over there but near Camp Kaya, and there's going to be good food and hot cocoa and good burgers and hot dogs and fun and laughter and talking about God. And they're going to come in here on Sunday, and they're going to hear the same thing and see the same thing, right? That's good, isn't it, right? So there's not going to be a disconnect. You're not going to be embarrassed. We don't, you're going to feel great about your church, and about what you're doing, okay? So start handing out those cards. There are people in here sitting next to people that never thought they would come in. I have people in here that came to me and said, you know what, I'm really struggling to invite my friend at work, but I'm going to do it, and they did, and that person isn't here today. And we have many like that, friends and family, yeah. So do that. Don't be, sure, be timely, be tactful, be what they call what's an, an emotionally intelligent about how you go about it, you know? Don't knock on the door while they're using the restroom and slip it under the door. You know I mean? Have some tact. <laughs> All right, so look. All right, we got to close this out. How are we? We're going to look at something. Okay. Look, I want you to remember this as you set out to be a fisher of, of men and women. Never depend on your own abilities, right? When Jesus called Peter, Andrew, James, and John to come follow him and make them fishers of men, look, here's what happened. Luke chapter 5, verse 3 to 7. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he sat, to, sat down and said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, We've worked hard all night, and we haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. And when they'd done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. 
and others had to come and help them. And then their boats began to sink. It was so full with fish. They had worked all night, all of them, with all their expertise and power and strength and knowledge and all their abilities, and they caught nothing. But Jesus gets involved, talks to Peter. Peter listens, and suddenly supernatural abilities come into play, right? I said this last night. I was, uh, me, my family, we, we were building all day. It's 8.30 in the morning to about 8 o'clock at night. You know, our family, another family, some young people. We just had a good time. And I was standing there, and we were talking, and I was explaining, and I said this a couple of times this week to a couple of different people about, look what God has done. And I was talking, I said, you know what this is, this whole building? It's like we brought God, it's God knew. God knew what he was going to do. He had, there's, there's no, he just had it in place. His provisions were there. Were we going to obey? Were we going to move forward? Would we stay united? Would we honor him? And you know what we did? We brought God our, our fishes, our four or five fishes, and God said, look what I did, right? That's what it comes down to, man, you know? And he brought this person, and he brought that company, he brought that person. God knew what he was going to do. We just gave to him with our, this is, you know, you know, us, a handful of people, not a big place, saying, look, here we go, God, this is what we have. And he said, okay, watch this. Boom, 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 boom. And he just started multiplying and expanding it. And now you're like, wow, right? That's not our abilities. That's providence. That's supernatural providence. God working through the hearts and minds of people. Who else is going to work through? I'm, I'm expecting any day to like a donkey to walk through the door with a few bucks in his saddle or something like that. And say, hey, Dave, you're doing a great job. See you later. I'm out. He's working through young and old, well-off, not so well-off. It's just astonishing to see. But that's what happens when you follow Jesus and you decide to be fishers of men and women and you trust in God. Do not look at your limitations and your circumstances because you will stay within your limitations and your circumstances. I'm bipolar. You'll be bipolar. I have anxiety problems. You'll have anxiety problems. I have anger issues. You'll stay there. But the moment you say, I am a child of God, I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to cling to him. I'm going to learn from him. I'm going to listen to the story that he has for me, not the stinking story that I've been telling myself all these years. Huh? I am a child of God. I am a fisher of men and women. I am going to capture the hearts and minds of people by the way I talk and live. Yes, this is what you were meant to be. All right, I got to close out. Worship team, come up. I'm having too much fun here. <laughs> Listen, I got a call this morning from a minister about 6 o'clock in the morning. I have a group of ministers I talk to. Hope this is okay. It's a distance away, this man. <coughs> Not hundreds of miles, but I, mean, I want to be careful. And he says, I just want to talk about limitations here. He says, you know, Dave, uh, man, you got to keep me in prayer. It's been a rough morning. I know you're, you know you're preparing, you're preparing and... I'm trying to, he says, you know, I'm just not there, man. He goes, it's, I'm just not there. I, I don't want to do this this morning, you know. Uh, I'm, just, I'm, I'm just between the people and the situations and the challenges and all that. He goes, I, I, I'm just not there. I'm not there to tell people about Jesus. I'm not there to be enthusiastic about people coming to know God. I'm, not, I'm just not there. Now, I've never gotten there, by the way, just so you know. And that's not true. And my heart sank from because, you know, the problem is I'm like, well, you and I both know. That in about a few hours, you got to stand in front of dozens or hundreds of people. He says, ah, yeah, I'm saying that's the rough part about our job, right? 
no matter what you're going through, no matter how you feel, no matter what's happened, no matter what's been said, you stand up there and you glorify God the best you can, right? I said, but here's the thing, and uh, I'm going to pray for you. And I prayed with him. I just prayed for, I said, it's all you're saying is real, you know, uh, it's all real, it's all there, it's all heavy. And then I said, listen, hear him out. It's not you, ma'am. It's not you that's going up there this morning. It's not you that, that's there. You just got to say, God, I can't do this, but you need to do it this morning. I said, that's my prayer for you, because I've been there. God, I, I can't do this this morning. I don't have it. You need to do this this morning, huh? He said, I'm with you, I'm with you. And we prayed, and I bet you with everything out, he's tearing them down this morning. I bet you he's taking the place. I know he is. I know he is, because he has come to the end of himself, and he's now trusting in God. You hear me this morning? Don't look at your limitations, what you have or what you don't have. All right, now, <coughs> I've got to finish this out. We talked about the bait you want to use. Talking about fishing, what bait do you use? Use love, man. Use love. Bait people with love. How do you catch fish? I don't know how people put, do the whole worm thing. I can't stand worms. They smell. They're yucky. They're slimy. I won't put them on hooks. I don't want to look at them. Uh, I, I, I don't have the patience to just sit there and wait. I don't know how you just do that. The ice fishing people, deranged, gone. You sit in a tent. And I, I think there's got to be something going wrong in that guy's marriage, right? Come on. <laughs> it's like, is your marriage that bad that you're sitting here on a block of ice all day long? No, no, no. But what's the bait? You're using love, man. I use the artificial stuff because at least you could throw it out, bring it back in. At least I'm active, you know? You throw it out, you just keep bringing it back. I never catch anything. <laughs> you want to use love. You want to use love. I was talking to my kids a couple of weeks ago about Journey. Because I know, yeah, Saturdays on music time, we always talk about it. I bring up songs from the past. And every time I talk about Journey often, especially if it's a song from the Frontiers album, you know, you know, separate ways, say faithfully, ding, I won't sing it, okay. You know what I think of every time somewhere in my mind? I think of a conversation I would have with a woman named Luann. Yeah, Luann and Tony, uh, they took me in to live with them. That was part of Pastor Virginia's culture. They took in a kid, 17 years old, to live with them. I don't know why I'm doing that. Um, young couple, child, you know, one-year-old child, just starting out in life. They took me in to live with them. They were one of the families that took me in for two weeks at a time. And uh, I was a big Journey fan, and, and, and I've been waiting for this Frontier out. Yeah, Escape was awesome. Frontiers is coming out, counting the days. And I'm telling her, you know, I got to get to the mall to buy this album. And she begins to talk to me about, you know, that, you know, it's kind of worldly, and, you know, maybe you want to listen to some Christian music. And, and, uh, and I heard her out, and I'm like, Luann, you know, and she talked about how, you know, she loved God. And I said, Luann, I'm, I'm with you with all this Jesus stuff. I, I'm getting it, but I'm going to buy the album. And I did buy the album, by the way. <laughs> but here's my point. It, 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 it stuck with me. Every time I hear faithfully, separate ways, or anything, I remember Luann showing me Jesus. Being, she was being a fisher of men and women to me. Huh? You want to, again, was it perfect? No. I mean, you know, telling me I can't buy a journey album. Whenever I see her, I laugh, I tell her, you know? Because she was like, oh, you're going to, you know. And she drove me to the mall, by the way, to buy the album, too. <laughs> you get what I'm saying? It's not that complicated, huh? Amen. What was she doing? She was loving me. She was loving me where I was. She wasn't buying me drugs. She was, being, she was showing me love. She was saying, I care about you. 
my husband and I care about you and we're going to love you and we're not going to be judgmental and we're not going to hammer you and we're not going to argue with you about this and that. We're going to give you what we can. We're going to be sacrificial. We're going to be caring. We're going to be loving. This is debate we're going to use for you to know Jesus. And guess what? They hooked me, man. They hooked me hook, line, and sinker. It never left me. It made such a massive impact on me that when all the storms of life and everything had come in and I was doing okay, I looked back at 28 and said, you know what? Man, that was just so good. That tasted great. That felt great. That was real. You know what? Now, 28 years old, I'm doing okay. I'm doing fine. But, you know, I'm going to be 30, and that's really old. Okay. And before I set sail on this thing called life, what am I going to do? Where am I going to go? And I said, you know, Right here, baby. Dave, this is when you were at your best. This was the most truest, genuine, most powerful thing that you ever experienced, this Christian stuff. huh? That's what they did for me. Why don't you stand with me? <coughs> Excuse me. Look, God has so much for each one of you. He created you. He delights in you this morning. God delights in you. He's raising you up this morning. He's filling you with a calmness and a gladness and a peace. Many of us have built these relationships. We got, we got a head start on this with God and the church. You know, be careful about becoming too self-centered as a church, about becoming happy and relaxed and nice with, with your own relationships amongst each other. I, de- I am so glad and thankful. Keep doing that. But don't be satisfied with that. Remember how you've got here, huh? And if you notice that you're sitting around for several months and it's just you, change it. Say, man, we need, we need somebody new. We need somebody apart from God here, right? Yeah. Meaning get dissatisfied. Poke each other. Spur one another on to do something good. And then you have people, you know, I don't want that to be our church. I let it never be true of Chair City Church that we will grow tired of seeing people come to know Jesus, that, that we will just get comfortable hanging around one another and just making each other feel good and, and just... And, and, and just taking a hold of all this newness and it looks so good and it's so great to hang out. Come on, man, you know? It cannot be. Are you hearing me? It cannot be. The life comes when people come to know Jesus Christ. That's the vitality, the the, the spark of a church, the life of a church, you know? And it's messy, but it's so worth it. Now, for those of you who do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you know, Maybe, I don't know how much these words have sunk in today. I don't know how much you, you uh, relate to them. But I want to tell you this. Whatever you thought Christianity was, I hope today you have a better understanding of it. huh? Whatever you thought it could and could not do, I hope today you understand it could do magnificent things. Whatever you thought was true and not true, I hope today you know it is true, what is fact. And today I truly hope that you will say, you know what? I get it. That's what being a Christian is. That's what Jesus is. I want to do that. There's something in me right now that's stirring, that's compelling me, that's drawing me to be something better and do something better, to be meaningful, to have purpose, you know what? And not just to talk about it, not just to hear it, not just to sing it, but to do it, huh? I want to be a follower of Jesus. I want to be a fisher of men or women. To God be the glory.